Welcome to the Adventure Creator Podcast, episode 29. My guest today is Joel McNichol. Joel's a mentor of mine, someone I look up to. He was an actor, a Hollywood actor turned producer, and we met at the Banff Adventure Filmmakers Workshop two years ago. Since then, I've seen Joel and his passion just get hooked on a specific topic, which is hard to define, but essentially around getting involved in the indigenous communities in Canada, volunteering with some of the refugees that are arriving in Canada in the last couple months during during COVID. And just overall, Joel is a person that I love to bounce my ideas off of. I have an open mind towards his perspective and someone who has shifted my perspective as a human being. We talk about a bunch of stuff in this conversation and The conversation actually rolls straight into Joel talking about some of the stuff that he's passionate about. Basically, the first question I ask him is, what is the biggest part of your journey and where do we want to focus this conversation? So that's where it begins. And I'm just going to get out of the way and roll right into it. Here we go. Joel McNichol. My my biggest thing right now is like, you know, we talk about all these things, sports that we like to do, like mountain biking and, um, you know, kayaking and paddleboard and climbing and all these things. But we, as not the indigenous people of all these lands that we're doing all these sports on, I just think that I've really, and I'm I'm not going to get all activist-like sounding because it's not really my role to do that, but it's more just about like, do we understand as non-Indigenous people what the connection to the land? And I think that we've had such a bad connection to land, period. And so I just, like I've talked to Arcteryx about this because I'm doing some programs. I've set up some programs with them too. And I said, you guys really need to focus more right now on, you know, you're promoting these hiking groups and climbing groups and trail running groups. And, and, uh, and do, you, do you know the history around the land where you're promoting these mm. activities? And do the people that are doing these activities understand the connection of the people who are from that region, who have lived there for... 30,000 years, you know, um, so I'm just, I'm really like, I'm, I'm heartened and disheartened at my lack of knowledge around what happened in Canada with the indigenous folks. And I'm learning more. I'm taking a course through university right now, which has been really eye opening. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been something that I've been thinking about more and more. So Long story short of that, because I could go on to that for a long time. I've started, um, I'm just writing a proposal actually right now for a program called Chalk Bag, which is to get Indigenous youth and non-Indigenous youth involved. But also it's like more of a cultural piece too. So it's about exploring, you know, the meaning of like fire bags and medicine bags and things like that Mm. because there's a lot around that tradition but incorporating that into a chalk bag and having this program where these chalk bags that we're making that are designed by indigenous craftspeople are manufactured by indigenous families um, across the country and so so I'm working on that right now which is a pretty stellar thing so I think that would be my biggest journey at the moment. There's so many things going on right now in my life, but I think that that's the one that is kind of holding really close to my heart at yeah. the moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
we can just uh, start by maybe setting a little bit of a context around, like you've been a mentor to me. So this will be like, it's, I, I have so much more insight into um, like the context of why you're doing what you're doing, you know, going into this conversation, um, which is, which is such, which is awesome. And uh, last time we talked, it's like November, I believe. And uh, whenever I think I was kind of coming back from Nepal and I had a lot of different thoughts mm -hmm. going different directions and, um, yeah, I just want to say thanks. Cause you're one of those few people that I turn to and truly like try and digest to the deepest that I can, like what you're saying and kind of the wisdom that you have. So, um, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> let's, um, a lot, lot to well, learn still. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, um, that's a theme that I've just been gravitating towards more recently. It's just like the further you get, the more you realize you can learn from anybody. I've, uh, mm -hmm. I'm trying to embrace that with the curiosity that you and I share a lot. Um, how do you think the best way, because I think it would be super cool to lay, obviously you're not a, an expert in the field of the history of Canada, but um, like what general information, like, can we start with and maybe like set a little bit of a context? Cause people are right now, I feel like a lot of um, folks are becoming more aware of the history of how um, the current white folks moved to the basically colonized the um, Americas. And uh, mm -hmm. I've been looking into it through like different lenses, obviously the U.S. lens and the Mexican lens, my girlfriend's from Mexico. So kind of like seeing her perspective and actually understanding how, why Mexico is laid out the way it is. And then it's the same, it's basically the same story across all three, Canada, U.S. and Mexico, but there's different nuances. And I, um, I'm way less up to speed on those things. And I know you spent some time with um, indigenous groups working on your um, film. So maybe we can, what, what do you think a good strategy for the conversation as far as like going through and sharing your experiences? I'd love to hear about some stories just that you've learned like experientially and then also stuff that you've maybe come across in your research or in any classes or stuff like that. What do you, what, what's kind of your thoughts? Yeah, I think that like, you know, a lot of times you hear this just because you've stayed with an indigenous family doesn't mean you understand indigenous life. A lot of people will spend time with a lot of folks in different cultures and different areas and kind of claim to be more of an expert. Um, I don't in any way claim to be an expert. So every time I talk about this, this is my experience and my recollections of what I was taught and not taught mm -hmm. and how I'm kind of exploring that throughout my own journey of this. I think that for me, spending that time there was only the absolute beginning of what piqued my interest in all of this. And I, I just got to experience a lot of, hmm, like there was a gentleman that lived there with the family that I was staying with and he just came back from a film set. He works in a film set and he just was really upset and, and they t talked to him about it and said, well, what, what happened? And he said, I just get frustrated when people use terms. This is him talking when people use terms inappropriately. And then I explained to them. So he's, he said, this one woman on set was saying, oh, let's just have a quick powwow and, mm. and talk about this. And he said, oh, uh, just to let you know, powwow isn't really a term that, that we use for just a quick, a powwow actually has quite a huge significance. And I learned a lot about powwow when I was there, just the significance of how it was taken away 
from from the culture for such a long time and now people are reinvesting themselves in what it means so a lot of people are exploring it and they don't even know what it means to them but they know it's something that is very important and very sacred and so when people just kind of throw out terms like oh let's just have a quick powwow the, the thing that i think is bothering me sometimes is when people say because he he said to her oh just to let you know in my culture a powwow isn't isn't that and explained what what powwow is so he said it would probably be great to not use that term in that context mm -hmm. and the which was very responsible response and the response from this person was oh no 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 it's it's used all the time and and as she's saying mm -hmm. this she's googling the term powwow and then says see it says like in the urban dictionary or whatever a quick meeting or a quick and he said well but i'm telling you from my right. culture where where you're on our traditional lands right now that this makes me feel uncomfortable but it was just very dismissive she said oh you're overreacting and mm -hmm. and and he came back extremely upset about that and so i got to witness this with the family talking him through it and then smudging to let that those feelings kind of out and up and I just thought, wow, this is me just like watching from the sideline. I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that. But I thought, wow, we, there are so many things that we're just unaware of. You can't dismiss someone else when they come to you and say something like that. You know, I, it's and I think there's been so much dismissiveness <laughs> for so long in like, it actually makes me quite sad to know that I grew up in a time where kids were in residential schools. When I was in a school being taught by non-Indigenous teachers from Quebec and from other parts of Canada who were teaching me the French and English version of the history of Canada. And nothing to do with what happened here before people came and colonized here. The whole idea behind when the original people came to explore here, there was a good relationship between the indigenous cultures, you know, in a sense, because it was more of a, oh, here's potentially some other trading partners, because they were very big on trade amongst the different nations and not for things like food and clothing and and it was for more luxury things because that was like oh wow you you're from this nation that has all these amazing shells and you make this cool jewelry out of that that's something we don't have in the plains and you know so maybe mm -hmm. we'll trade something else that we make with that so it was always for more luxury type of goods so it was a cool relationship and there were battles between different nations and territorial things it's not that there it was all you know hunky-dory all the time but what happened was as the people came um things got <laughs> changed and promised and there were a lot of charters and things dictated by kings and uh, of other countries and people didn't really understand what was in these and what the agreements what they were exactly agreeing to like could go on for that for a long time, but basically yeah. they were deceived, completely deceived as to what was happening with all this. And I think for me, realizing that more and more and taking these courses through the university that have been created by um, indigenous populations throughout Canada, because you can't generalize that everybody's the same either from these populations. But 
they gathered all this information from knowledge keepers, elders, and um, I mean, that's pretty much where it lies. But a lot of the elders have been in residential schools or were involved in, you know, 60s scoop and because as time is going on. So those are terms that probably you've never even heard of. 60s scoop. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that term before. Never heard of 60s scoop, but I yeah. know what residential schools were and only as of probably last year maybe even when I was talking to you in Banff like if I never went to Banff I may like many Americans do have never heard that term before so maybe like what what exactly was that and how did it get to that point how and I I don't I know in the U.S. we're taught like a very um, romanticized view of the native tribes Native Americans and um, that definitely prevents you from taking action or even thinking about getting involved or trying to understand like a different view, their view of history. Like I remember going out, um, I live here in Washington and there's a lot of history around, um, cultures that lived here. The Duwamish lived right down there. Now there's the industrial zone of Seattle there. And, um, basically when Seattle came, we pushed people out just like, you know, sorry, this was your land, but now the cities here, they were not allowed in town, like similar, like segregated kind of like ways. And so it'd be interesting to compare and contrast a little bit of Canada versus the U.S. and like kind of hear your and, and I guess another goal for this would be like, what do you think the best way from like we were miseducated? We were, mm-hmm. I was I was not told the truth in public school. Now I'm at this point where I want to fully embrace like these different things that are now available via the internet, via stories. Like it sounds like some of these elders are actually collaborating with colleges in Canada. So maybe talk to me about where you see some major channels for where myself and you and others can, um, cause right now is a time where we're trying to understand everyone wants to like truly look at other people's perspectives, whether that's on the other side of the world or people that are different in your own neighborhood. So what do you, what would you recommend? Yeah. I have a good suggestion for you. (laughs) I think you should um, go online and find this course called Indigenous Canada. And if you type in Indigenous Canada, it's through the University of Alberta, which is in the province that I'm in, right? And you should find it right away. And I've talked about this to quite a few people and it's one of their most popular courses. It's free. So you as a non Canadian resident can still sign up for this. So what I would say to you is sign up for this course and commit to the course over 12 weeks. It's only a couple hours a week. You watch videos that explain the history of the fur trade and they go through all of kind of law in Canada previous to settler newcomers uh, and then how things have worked since. It's It's a really great program. So what I would say to you is sign up for that even though it's from a canadian perspective it it it's all part of turtle island which we are all a part of and so things are a little bit different in the states because of what happened with borders and boundaries and they talk about that a little bit Mm -hmm. but what i would say is if you understood enough about this from this canadian university then maybe you could then go to say the university of washington and say hey how come we don't have something like this that talks that has been, you know, compiled by the indigenous 
people from this region, but then from everywhere. So what these folks did was they consulted all across the territories to all different nations. They can't cover the detail of every single nation because there's so many, mm -hmm. but they can lump it into at least some areas where they can give it a pretty comprehensive explanation about what happened. And these are definitely, this information isn't from the settler newcomer perspective. It is from Métis and, and Cree and, and, you know, Blackfoot and Salish and all the different nations from the north to the east to the west. And the thing about it is it's, it's so <laughs> it's so comprehensive. It, it really, that's what I'm saying, it'll make you think wow, like, why Why was this not part of curriculum from day one? Mm -hmm. And I've talked to people on nations about this, and they said, because they didn't, people didn't want you to know, the governments didn't want you to know the truth about what actually was happening with these folks. And the more I spend time with folks from different nations, the more I just think, wow, like, you're just constantly swimming upstream. You're always fighting something because it's been all based on lies mm -hmm. the, the all the agreements and you know it's just it's amazing so i would suggest that you you do the one from the canadian one because it still gives you a great perspective yeah. it's not that much different it wouldn't be that much different than the states except i just don't know how the treaties worked in the u.s i don't know that mm -hmm. and that would be great so i would say tell your friends hey you should check out this course if you really want to learn about this but i would also say hey if you know of any educators say hey why don't we have a program like this in our university yeah no that's when you talk about um or we started the conversation by talking about like how people are getting more into the outdoors companies are supporting like community movements where like there's a more running groups for Arcteryx, for example, and like trying to communicate different people's perspectives, especially ones that have been unheard for a long time to these major players like corporations and universities is crucial. And like, I, th I see yourself and like a lot of other people talking about that as being like a potential way to like really like Arcteryx holds the keys in some way to their, um, messaging and things like that. And if, if there is a trend driven by consumers, I'm pretty optimistic about the power of individuals to actually like incite change, like the way that you're talking here in terms of just learning it and then like sharing it in a, in a grassroots way. Um, what do you, so I want to further like understand, it would be cool to talk more about like, cause this has actually been a theme in the last two or three podcasts that I've had. I just interviewed, do you remember Didier? Oh no, he's the sec he was the year. This year in Banff, I met this guy mm. named Didier Torres. He's a paraglider. And um, we were talking about how um, like the local people are now like kind of collaborating with the paragliding community that comes from all around the world to um, like give them access to learning how to paraglide, maybe some education, things like that. Just like there's this natural connection between like if we live in a world where outdoor recreation is like pretty widespread, how can we use that energy to be aware of the land. I think people, myself included, like want to find ways to be more connected to the places. I was actually just thinking on my mountain bike this morning, being someone who, like, this is kind of deep, but pretty much like I didn't have like a culture necessarily, like in the sense of like, I wasn't, we didn't have deep traditional cultures. My family's from different European nations that mm -hmm. it's all blended together. But like, I do truly feel a sense of connection to the Washington outdoors, like 
flying, flying over these mountains or just like, I feel a sense of home where I don't feel anywhere else in the world. I would love to keep pulling on that and like apply it towards like a positive way rather than be in the past. I think I've been someone who's a little bit not ignorant of maybe the different people's perspectives of that, of that land and how it's being used. But like you said, like I'm someone who goes out there, rips my mountain bike, goes in the car and doesn't necessarily think about like the long-term history of the land. How did you first like become passionate about this connection and like where did this initial seed grow from? I think that the first time it really kind of hit home was when Harley, who's the subject of my documentary, and I went climbing at an erratic, which is a, I don't know if you know erratics, a big giant boulder that got carried through a, from a glacier wow. like a million years ago. And so we have these erratics in the prairie. So there's like flat land and then there's these giant, like the size of a house, a uh, piece of rock that you're like, where, how did this get here? And it got pushed million years ago across the plains and ended up there and it's quite sacred to some of the nations in this area the blackfoot and when we went to this erratic to just shoot a little bit of footage i didn't even think twice i knew climbers climbed there and it's got a fence around it not a high fence just a little low one just to say hey you know that there's a monument in a way here mm-hmm. um but i didn't really understand the significance of it and i said to harley i was like wait should we be climbing on this and she was like well you know we should really consult the indigenous population of this region but because we haven't done that and we're here i'm going to give an offering and so she took a cigarette and broke out the tobacco and and we talked about that about the offering of tobacco to to use this this rock because we aren't damaging it we keep it clean and respect it and and it got me thinking i was like oh when you see all the other climbers that were there they don't care half of them are leaving garbage around and there's a lot of significance to this this and it's got some hieroglyphics on it too so there's some areas that really shouldn't be touching and i thought oh my god i didn't even really think about all the places we go climbing through the mountain areas here and the territories that they belong to the stony nakoda people and i just started looking up different areas where we climb and that are really popular spots and i thought oh no like everywhere i've been going it's actually a place that no one has had permission even the film that we did the little film we did at banff Mm -hmm. that foothold one i i don't feel comfortable now knowing that sleeping buffalo that mountain that was bolted that we climbed there i didn't do enough research to understand the significance of that mountain it used to be called something else and now it's called sleeping buffalo which is the name it was called translated into english and i thought wow did anyone ask if it was okay to bolt this sacred mountain, put a bunch of bolts in it? And uh, it, so it got me really thinking about like that a lot in this region is there are a lot of areas where people are just exploit, like I think settler newcomers have of the land without any connection. It's like, what can that land do for me? Not how can I help out? you know, to maintain that and respect it and understand what it means to 
people that have lived here. So I think that was the catalyst for me. And ever since then, I've kind of been challenging a few people I know about that just politely because just to think about it, just think about where you're at. And if you don't know, then find out how you can know more. Like reach out to a local council, tribal council, and be like, hey, you know, they all have offices and you could say, I'm just curious, like I'm really involved in outdoor activities and I just want to make sure that I'm being respectful of, of the land that I'm doing these on. And I think that that will just be like, what? Cool. You know, for most people that I've talked to, they're like, that's amazing. Please, yeah, reach out. And I think people are scared to do that, to reach out and ask you know, how can I find out more about this? But just ask, right? Yeah, no, you're getting me thinking. Do you think that like having a better, just kind of a thought that I had in my mind is like, when I think about um, the relationship that natives tended to have with nature was like more um, one of mutual benefit, like they used all the different parts of the fish, whereas we throw away 30% of our food as a nation, like, like the difference we're very disconnected, I guess, in how we use the land. And often you hear, I mean, I don't want to get too political, but you hear from Washington, D.C., people that have never stepped foot in certain places in Utah or in at the outdoors, even in Alaska, and making decisions about like private companies coming in and creating damage to that land that's irreversible, fracking, maybe creating dams and rivers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, Yeah. And so how, so there's this idea of like reconciliation, but how else do you see people getting more connected to understanding like what was going on before the colonial movements and people and how does that impact? Like how is that understanding going to branch out to making the world a better place, if you will? Like how can we apply those learnings to actually make some change? I think working together with folks, like I'm trying to really align myself with um, folks from different indigenous communities just to find out what their perspective is on it and their connection because we don't want to ever make generalizations mm-hmm. you know the idea of indigenous people using every part of the animal is not always true mm-hmm. when from what I have understood in this course is that when times were really good then you know and food was plentiful there wasn't always like there was a there was if everyone was full then yeah <laughs> Yeah, but when times were not great, then yes, every last piece of that was used for something. But there's definitely a connection between all of the animals. If you even think about the creation story, which I think we should all know, everyone in, in North America should understand the creation story because the creation story is pretty similar from nation to nation. There isn't a lot of discrepancy around it. When we look at Christianity that has come here and we have this, everybody who's even non-Christian has this, you know, well, you know, Jesus was born and, you know, God is this being that, for whatever perspective you have, that brought Jesus to the earth to, to save people. And I mean, you could go on for quite a, so a lot of people know that story but how many people know the indigenous creation story? And if you understand that creation story, you'll understand more the connection between the people and the land and the plants and the animals and how interconnected. There's a, there's a term called all my relations. 
in a lot of indigenous cultures. You hear those three Mm. words a lot, all my relations. All my relations doesn't necessarily mean like my cousin in whatever state or whatever. It means all my relations, how am I interconnected with everything? Everything and that connection to me. And I think that when you start to think about how everywhere you are, you we've separated ourselves so much from everywhere we are. We put shoes on that have soles. We put concrete down so we can ride our pedaled bikes on top of concrete, which is on top of other, like we're so disconnected that the amount of layers between us and the earth have been so filled with other things for so long that we don't even realize that we were actually just barefoot on on the earth and I think the more we start talking to folks about their connection to the earth and what it means to them and it's not like I mean the people that I was staying with it's not like every day they live this completely in you know stereotypical connection to the planet life they just realize that that's part of of their being is that they belong here, but it's their responsibility to take care of where they are and not exploit it. So like you say, I mean, the settler newcomers loved, it seemed to just come and find something good and then exploit it. So the whole idea of staying somewhere is, is new to a lot of nations. They had to move where, food was so the idea of staying in one place whereas when people came to this land it was like no we're gonna stay in one place and exploit whatever we can till basically it's gone but we'll figure out how to replant it and repopulate it so we can just keep exploiting and exploiting and exploiting but that creates an imbalance and when you think about how people lived here before there was always this movement so things had time to regrow naturally people would move to this area or even around a lake like where i was they would still stay in that region but they would move to a different part of that lake so then the fishing stocks wouldn't be too depleted and then other nations that fed off of the fish in that lake could have a chance at this as well so it wasn't just taking one opportunity and exploiting it until it's gone and then finding ways to replenish it so you can keep Mm. having more and more and more and more it was always this interconnection between sort of a continuation of life and death and survival and i think that that's something that we need to really spend time with with indigenous cultures to learn their perspective on that I think I Absolutely. rambled. No, I love it. And uh, I have one thought. I, will, I mm. listened to a podcast with a woman named Shannon O'Laughlin, I believe is her name. I can confirm that. But she is a, um, she's a lawyer who advocates for indigenous groups in America, Native Americans, mm. Indians. And um, I learned a ton through her, like her podcast with Joe Rogan, actually. And she mm. um, basically... She talked about how every single treaty that was ever signed with a native group was was either like thrown in the trash or just completely not held up at all. Um, and one of the things that she yeah she she was just saying like I, w- I had another couple thoughts on what she was saying, but it was it was for me one kind of like eye opening. Oh, what she was saying was oh yes, yeah, sorry, the creator story. Um, mm-hmm. She talked about there was a group in. America where their creator story was basically something about how they came out of the earth 
in this one place in Mississippi or Alabama. And Rogan was saying like, well, with science, we know that that's not possible. Like, come on, Shannon or whatever. Like, give me a break here. Like if you had a thousand dollars, you know, what are you going to bet? Was it the out of the ground or was it some sort of scientific evolution, whatever it was view that we have. And she was saying, look, that's what their story is. There's truth in that. Yes. Like they're, they're not like what it does is it teaches the truth that we come from the earth. We need to take care of it as if we literally came out of it. Right. So it's like almost we've become so distant from like the mainstream conversation. The, the perspective Rogan was bringing at that time was like, not taking into account that we have become so distant. We don't even know what's possible is what she said. Like, we don't even know what is possible. Like no one really saw how we came onto this earth. So who knows? Like, but the truth is we do need to take care of the land and those, like those messages, those creator stories or that creator story, maybe what is the creator story for like the Canadian general Canadian groups? Yeah, and well, see, that's a good point. I'll get to that in one sec. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about, though, like religion. I didn't grow up with much Christianity, but enough that, I mean, I had a a Bible when I was a kid. My parents asked me if I wanted to learn more about that, not that they were Christian in any way. But I don't ever remember anything talking about the connection of humans to the land in any of that. I can't think of anything other than... (laughs) you know people turning water into wine and and (laughs) fish for everyone and you know just these stories when you're a kid that you're like oh but no no connection to like Mm -hmm. to the earth and i think this creator story that i heard which is always passed on orally and i I won't do it justice compared to what it should be because i've only really heard it once or twice and from taking this course but the idea behind that similar to your coming out of the land there in canada a lot of the times i've heard about sky women so there is a the sky people live above the earth and what happened was hence the reason why they call this region turtle island is because sky woman was digging at the base of a tree up in the sky and there's clouds digging 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 for roots and the animals in in the sky world said be careful you don't dig too far down because you you, you could fall through and she said oh i just keep digging 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 and she did end up digging all the way through and and there was a hole at the bottom with just sky below and so she dig dug dug more and then she fell through the hole and as she was falling she didn't know what was happening because she's never been anywhere else but sky world then the creator said oh i have to protect her and so the geese flew in and caught her and then brought her down to what was just a planet of water, it seemed. But in that planet of water, there were different animals. There was a beaver, there was an otter, there was a muskrat. So this is one version of this that I've, I've heard. And there was a turtle there. And so there's a lot of stories around how did this become a piece of land. So again, it's it's more to convey morals and values. It's not necessarily, yes, this is scientifically plausible it's more just to think about about things and so the idea behind this was as she's holding on to the turtle's back and there's no land in sight she thought well maybe we could make land 
And so she asked the animals that were there, otter and beaver and muskrat, if they could find land. So they said, oh, I'll, I'll go down. I know there's land below the water. And so, of course, Otter was the first one. I, I, I can swim really deep, swim, 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 all the way down to try and get land. Came back up, and now I'm shortening it because it, it can go on for quite a long time. Take your time. But came, came back up and, and came empty-handed and was like, I tried. I couldn't hold my breath for so long, and I couldn't get to it. I couldn't get to it. And Beaver said, oh, well, I, I can do it. I can do it. And so Beaver took a big breath and paddled down, paddled down, got closer and tried to grab some dirt and wasn't able to and came back up and was like, I couldn't, I couldn't. And then Muskrat, who's the smallest, she was like, well, I can try. And the beaver beaver and otter laughed and said, well, if we can't do it, then there's no way that you can. You're so little and, you know, we're so strong at swimming. And she said, well, I, I want to try. And so she took a huge breath and went down, went down, and, and was so close that she tried to grab some and almost got it, but couldn't quite make it. And as she was coming back up, was almost on the verge of passing out, came all the way up to the top end, and Sky Woman could smell earth. She's so close when she went to grab for some that she could smell earth. And so they were just like wow she made it closer than than any of us and so they were very encouraging to her and said try again try again and so she took a big big breath and went down got all the way to the bottom was just about to lose breath and managed to grab just a little bit of dirt and brought it back up and as she got back up she just passed out and opened her paw and there was dirt and it was on the turtle's back and so because Sky Woman had some magical powers, she could blow onto that. And what happened then in this story is that the turtle's back then became covered with dirt. And then that expanded out. And so the story really is that we're on the back of a giant turtle for North America. And if you actually look at the map, you can actually see the shape of a turtle too so that's the turtle island explanation i've heard that a lot across canada and in the u.s on the eastern side as well but the story behind that is really just to teach values around you know not doubting other people and like there there's a lot of stories that spill mm. out from that too with the trickster coyote and you know there's a lot of other stories that are just fascinating to hear that involve animals and humans and sky people and there's a lot of different variations on it but when you actually look at the themes throughout them they are about that connection between us and the land from the beginning there is no one without the other there is absolutely no one without the other and i find it really interesting too there's talk about the the umbilical cord there's a term for this and i don't remember the term because it's different in different languages but i know in some nations the idea behind your belly button is that is your connection between your lifeline before and i've never really thought about this until i really thought about this and after taking that course i was like wow when you think about it you're for females especially because the female line is what carries this through because they're able to give birth but the idea behind your belly button that was attached to umbilical cord which was attached to your mother 
and that umbilical cord was attached to her mother and that just continues on so that umbilical cord continues on forever in your female line right and i just was thinking about that i'm like oh wow and so when you think about your connection to your grandmother or grandparents versus the connection between a lot of indigenous cultures and their grand their ancestors that's why that ancestry is so important because the stories that are passed down have been passed down along this umbilical line for lack mm-hmm. of a better word so you're always connected so their learnings have become your grandparents learnings have become your parents learnings have become your learnings and that gets passed down to whether you have children or not mm-hmm. even gets passed down to others around you and i just thought wow I, like I just i thought about what is my connection with my grandparents well i you know nothing on that kind of a a theme but then i started to think well maybe there are some things that my grandparents passed down when they were alive to me and in our discussions and i thought okay i see a a really light connection through all of this but nothing like what they're talking about mm-hmm. there's so much strength in that connection between all of those generations in the cultures that i got to experience so far mm-hmm. and i just thought wow if you put that together and connect it with the land and our use of the land and respect to not i mean when you think about it what's going on in the world we have not respected the land and look at all the places that are having the most problems it's like the amazon and places where there's still indigenous cultures who choose to live that way still because that is what they've always known is to live in conjunction with the land so everywhere where there's problems are where there are people who have come into that area and are like no let's just land here and exploit it mm-hmm. and that's what's creating this absolute disconnect to mm-hmm. the planet so when we look at all these things that are going on as far as environmental changes and things like that i think that you know <laughs> we really have to stop looking at how much we're making off of this money financially and go but is it worth it if there's nothing left like there won't be anything left to exploit one day yeah so how do we truly live in connection with this so i think for a lot of places it's really about reconnecting to you know the indigenous perspective of that land and how people lived off that land for areas like europe i don't know how i don't know where you go back to mm-hmm. because it's so far and people have been colonizing those regions for so long that i don't even know but there's a lot to be learned from the cultures that are still heavily involved in their connection with the land mm-hmm. like indigenous i think honestly if we stopped and listened and had more indigenous um representation in our governments oh my god like i don't even understand when i look at the premiers which are like governors right of our provinces and when you show us they show a picture this is all white white men still mm. like how is that possible that we live on a land that was not originally white people for the last 300 years they've they've come but then why is there no representation whatsoever of indigenous people in any of the decision making like it just doesn't even make sense to me 
I didn't know they existed when I was a kid. I thought this was like a fictional thing, you know, like really? cowboys and Indians, uh -huh. you know, and all this thing. I'm like, they live in teepees and they have, you know, um, tomahawks and that's, shoot bows and arrows. That's what they teach us as well. Yeah. They wear headdresses. Yeah. And it's like, how come we've never seen them? Because they're this mythical creature mm. that doesn't exist anymore. That's the way I, I thought. I was like, wow, what happened to them all? There's no mention of what happened to everybody. Meanwhile, people are living in, you know, residential schools and being told to not um, embrace in any way their culture, not mm -hmm. speak the language, not practice any of the rituals or ceremonies that are so sacred. Like, we had no idea that wasn't was going on. Yeah. So there's no excuse right now. We have to figure out ways to understand that better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about really trying to find a way to bridge with indigenous cultures here. You can't just drive for here. It's really remote. I can't just drive out to a reserve and be like, hello, hello, hello. Is anyone willing to talk to this white guy who doesn't know enough about your culture? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's definitely a disconnect in some ways, but there's also organizations popping up all over the place that are trying to connect that, not only with non-Indigenous people, but with Indigenous folks who have grown up in cities. Is a misconception that all Indigenous people live on reserves. And, you know, I have friends here that have lived in the city for a couple generations that are Indigenous, but they're trying to reconnect to their roots as well. So, I mean, we really need to work together to get Indigenous, non-Indigenous, absolute newcomer people. Like when I work with refugees, well, is anyone connecting them to the yeah. first people of this that doesn't seem to be there seems to be a whole bunch of white people going hi welcome welcome to this land that we stole <laughs> you're welcome here too to exploit it as much as you want um <laughs> everyone's doing it yeah. you know like that's a little ridiculous sounding but you know what i mean like there needs to be more of a connection from the moment mm -hmm. people arrive to understand who are the people here so there needs to be more representation from the indigenous um, nations all across North America. 100%. And, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Like everywhere you look, it's like the people that are going to make the best decisions are the ones that are the most connected to that place that, that, you know, fight, whatever it is. Um, I heard a quote recently, maybe this week it was like, we, we, we don't borrow, what is it? We, we borrow our grandkids future by taking away the land, something along those lines. I just totally mm -hmm. butchered it. Yeah, but basically no, like that. we're not yeah. only like, we shouldn't only be thinking about like this potential economic profit, but also the hugely negative impact that's going to happen on your kids, kids or their kids or something, the community, you, the next generations of our communities. So that to me, like, and the other thing I would say is that's that's kind of like why it's important, I think. But the other thing I would say is it doesn't have to be like such a in the U.S. at least. It's very like political, like, oh, people on this side support the environment. People on this side don't. It's so it's so frustrating to watch us fight over these like small little nuances when most people, if you sit them down, and you say, hey, do you want your grandkids to be able to be able to go on a hike? Do you want your, mm -hmm. or even to breathe fresh air or even to have access to clean water? Like, don't we think those are things that should be for more people? And, um, we, yeah, we're very, I think we're very disconnected from that. But for me, it's like a positive thing because I can take at least like I can live my own life and I have been a better person by understanding like how much I do love being outside, love doing things this way. And I love sharing that, that passion mm -hmm. with 
people, you know, that's what kind of drove me up to Banff in the first place is like this community of filmmakers, creators, and like, it sounds like you just in the last two years have found something that you're so passionate about that it's almost like overtaken many of your other passions or things that you were talking about two years ago when we met at the, at the film festival, which is, um, which is awesome. And my, my path has kind of been going that direction too. So in the, like, I guess just kind of randomly thinking here, but are you optimistic about the trend that you're seeing and what do you see as far as like creating art goes filmmaking like are people are more aware of the environment and indigenous perspectives on it but yet still um it's a lot about like the biggest raddest action you know or something like that and how are you are are you um optimistic about like what's like how the, the kind of film community is approaching it and how would you how has it how has your newest like last two years of understanding changed from like where you were at in terms of filmmaking when we first met? I think that always there's going to be the people, when you think even like about the Banff Mountain Film Festival, there's always going to be an appetite for those films with the phantom, you know, Mm -hmm. like we talked about that, that spray and, you know, these high adrenaline films about that activity. And more and more, I think we're seeing people touching on the cultural aspects about about that and that one that was you know around the day of the dead and which i just found like okay here's incorporating the culture into these areas and i think people are more drawn to that nowadays Mm -hmm. to understand well if this is taking place in mexico then and it has this cultural significance then why not show that instead of just the bike race like i mean watching a bike race is I guess entertaining enough for some people, but I find that a little bit dull after a while. Like, just give me the highlights and show me who won, whatever. But like, I'd rather see the cultural piece around it. I think what's happening now is people really are the ones that are more popular. It seems are the ones that really incorporate the understanding of a cultural element to it, because there is so much connection between all cultures in many ways. And I think that the ones that I'm drawn to are always the ones that have more of a cultural piece to it. I think that for me, doing a a film about a a rock climber who happens to be transgender and indigenous is not like this kind of gratuitous, oh, like, check it out. This is such a cultural piece. It's ticking so many boxes. It's got someone who's transgender. It's got someone who's indigenous and rock climbing. Like. That sounds like it ticks all the boxes to get a grant. And the idea behind this is I've thought about this a lot because being a a non-Indigenous filmmaker is that people might look at that as like, well, what right do you have to to do this film or work on these kind of projects? The, The right I have is it gives me a chance to explore my understanding of of people I may not have any other understanding. I'm not here to explain what it's like for you to understand what it's like to be transgender. I'm not transgender. I'll never understand what it means to be transgender. I'm not here to explain to an audience what it means to be indigenous because I absolutely have no right to do that either. What I would like to explore and explain to people is that fundamentally we're all the same in a sense that we we have family we came from somewhere we came we were birthed (laughs) and 
we all have a desire to be loved and to love someone else and to be part of something, part of a community, part of a feeling of belonging somewhere. We all have fears, we all have excitements, aspirations. When you think about all of those things, it doesn't really matter where, what your cultural background is, what your, you know, if you're suffering from gender dysphoria, uh, anything like that. It's our, it's our obligation to follow these things and, and, and love that person for whatever they're going through. Not to try and understand what it's like to be, to go through that, but just to understand that there's someone who needs to be cared for you know, and that we need to be cared for. And I think when it comes down to that, that's the one thing I talk about a lot is like, what are you trying to get across in, in these films? I'm trying to get across in my film about here's someone who's a great rock climber, who's used rock climbing to, to have a place to just go and, and be connected and not think about anything else other than, you know, how am I going to crush this, this next route? And when you break it down to that, then, then it just shows a person, a person who is connected to something tangible, which is the earth. And, and it represents all of that. It represents support from others around. It represents, you know, that feeling of wanting to accomplish something and challenge yourself and push yourself and things that we all have. It is not to break down any ideas about what it means to be transgender mm -hmm. or indigenous. It's just that happens to be who she is. It's not to make you understand that. It's make you understand that, that this is a person. That's awesome. And I, I went totally off topic. I no, no, I, that's that's what this is for. Long form conversation. I'm I, I love listening and and going back and forth with you. I think when we spent a day together, we spent like eight hours just chatting, chatting, talking. Yeah. One thing you told me was like when you feel like you just want. I don't exactly remember what you said, but I, I take your words and I just you know basically get a tattoo of exactly what it says on my arm but <laughs> no. you just said like put your hands down on the ground and just feel the earth below you and realize how mm. connected we are and like some of those simple things those messages that you send I feel um like very blessed to have someone with the perspective that you have and like just to share your time today is awesome because it's like I can continue to grow and continue to learn I'm going to apply some of the things that we hear we talked about here to just going forward and that's like the beauty of having this conversation. So just want to say thank you. And, um, cool. yeah, everything you said, there's just so much to pick out of it. I know when we got together in November, I was really struck by how much knowledge you had acquired about the different, um, I, rem I remember you were talking about sage tobacco, some of these different like rituals. The and when I was four sacred the four sacred, yes. And, uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. I think I had an interesting change of heart, change of mind, I guess, opening of my mind when I was like 16 years old. Before then, I was kind of like this closed minded, you know, everything I taught in school was what I learned. And, you know, the the Aztecs are crazy for doing their sun rituals and dancing to the sun gods. I thought that that just seemed like to me like crazy talk, you know, mm -hmm. and I was told that the Catholic religion was the best religion. Every other one was faulty in some other way. That's literally what my worldview was. Then mm -hmm. I at age 16, less than 10 years ago, started to like understand that pretty much everything for the vast majority of my life before that was like oversimplified or completely wrong in some ways. Um, so you have definitely given me some new perspectives, like just in this conversation, but also in the past on just like the ways to look at things. I think looking at some of the indigenous like stories, like the one you told, 
just completely can like shift you from this like very rigid way of thinking. And I think it makes you a, a better person, a better operator in this world where it seems like maybe it's best to be ignorant sometimes, but, um, it's been like empowering for me to continue like down this journey. And it sounds like you're kind of, um, having a similar like positive feeling from some of the things that you're learning. So just a bunch of thoughts there, but what else did you learn? Like talk to me a bit more about your film and like the process of getting to know the different people that you're working with. Um, some super cool stories in there, I know. So, I think that the biggest, and I can't remember how much I talked to you about this already, but the biggest thing was being accepted into this family to stay. And, you know, there's this guy that these folks don't even know that they've allowed to come and stay, like sleep there and and eat meals with. And, and I just felt, it's funny because the moment I got there, I filmed some footage of it when we first arrived because we got off on a tarmac and had to, to because it was a smaller plane, because mm-hmm. it was a smaller area that we went to. And just being greeted by family was just so overwhelming to see people genuinely, genuinely happy to see one another. Like, I know that, I mean, I'm happy to see my parents when I see them and I get off the airplane and they're at the airport. I'm like, Hey, you know, and, but this was like something I'd never really experienced. And it set the tone, the amount of love and admiration, these moments of just like staring into each other's eyes, like between a mom and a child who's not a child anymore, but their child, Mm -hmm. like long, like these moments that you'd see in a movie where you're like, wow, that, that was a really long pause of just staring into each other's eyes and complete adoration. And I thought, wow, like this is crazy. I've never experienced, I've never really experienced that. Like I look at my parents kindly. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever looked so adoringly at anyone in my whole life. And I thought, wow. So it kind of set the tone for how the rest of it was going to go. So I was a little bit like, I've never met these folks. And so, you know, I'm a little apprehensive about, you know, what will they think of me being involved in and being a part of their family and in this sense and, you know, going to powwow, which is a very big deal. And literally from that moment on, it totally set the tone. Every person I encountered after that from family were like that as well. Everyone was like, when we think we're supportive to each other, everything I felt there and saw there was a hundred times more supportive. Wow. In, in, and and it, it's not exaggerated. It was. There was this no doubt that everyone there was interconnected and would be there for each other no matter what, no matter what, without judgment, without anything. And I just thought, wow, this is crazy. Like, I don't even know. Then makes me question, like, everything that I grew up with, like, was, were we not loving enough to each other? Like, did we, are we, are we not good enough to each other? And I thought, well, maybe it's not that way of looking at it. How can I bring more of this back with me and bring it mm. into my everyday life? How can I be a more loving, caring, genuine person to anybody and treat people with dignity and respect? And I just thought, wow, these moments, and they did all these things to, to, to try and give me a good sampler of what it's like and not every day but the first night I got there we had moose meat pies which 
they joked, you're not vegetarian. I was like, no, because, you know, that's a big thing to have moose meat and together and share these meals of traditional um, meats. And the next night we had a fish fry from the lake that they, they caught the fish in the lake, pickerel, and we had a fish fry and made bannock. And then we joked about, they said, bannock, bannock came from your original country. I'm like, I know. And nobody really eats bannock in Scotland anymore, but it's been known as an, uh, an indigenous thing. And they made great bannock or fry bread. I don't know if that's a big thing in the States, but it's really big here. And so they, they were just very, um, they wanted to just give me a taste of everything that they do for special occasions. And so I could really feel what it felt like. So I helped, you know, get everything ready for the um, fish fry and, and I just thought, wow, this is fantastic. So leading up to going to powwow and then just asking some honest questions. One of the, um, the subject of the documentary is Ant. This was the first time, and she's probably in her 50s. This is the first time she'd ever danced in powwow. And I was like, what? She said, I just never felt comfortable. And I'm like, and so my completely naive, uneducated brain just thought, Everyone who's Indigenous went to powwow, not really understanding how powwow was really taken away and wasn't allowed to be practiced, or if it was, it was in secret. Mm. And so a lot of people who were part of that generation, around my age, 50s and, and 60s, um, were, had no exposure to that. And so felt uncomfortable going back into that because they felt like they're a bit fraudulent. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't even realize that that was something else that's layered into all of this. And so watching people reconnect to something that is hugely valuable to their culture was amazing to experience and getting there and experiencing all that. They said, oh, all the different foods I had to try because at powwow, it's kind of like going to a fair in a sense, in a sense, like I don't want to simplify it to that, but you know how in, when you go to a fair, there's always like, or an exhibition, there's always like your favorite food truck, like mini donuts and corn dogs and whatever. And so there there's like watermelon drink and because of the region and these wild rice salad, because wild rice is harvested from that lake for thousands of years. That's what people have lived off this wild rice. And I was like, I can't wait to try these things. So I got to experience their excitement of every year going to this event, seeing people they haven't seen for a long time, dancing and listening to all the different drummers and drumming groups and all the different categories of dance and competitive and just open free dances that people could join to all the food, to all the crafts people that were there and, and things that you could buy, moccasins and all those kind of things. And I was just like, this is mind blowing. This blows my mind. I'm so honored to be here. I kept smiling all the time. I'm trying to film some footage of it. And, and they kept asking me, are you crying again? Like, cause I'd be like, they'd look over and I'm teary eyed and I'm like, yeah, so whatever, <laughs> you know, but it was always like emotional tears. Cause I just, there were so many moments where I was like, I want my life to be like this all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, but think about the hardship that so many of these families history have gone through. And yet they still have this absolute strength in adoration through their family and this connection through community. I was like, I, I feel pretty empty <laughs> as far as my culture goes. I feel cultureless, for right. lack of a better word. And I feel disconnected. And 
I thought, I want, I want this. I want to feel a connection like this to a community and to people. So part of me was thinking, oh, they're so lucky. And then I thought, no, this isn't luck. This is like, this is the last thing they've been able to hold on to because of all that has been taken away. And I just, then it really hit sort of heavy. I was like, I need to come back and I need to learn more. I need to, I'm forever connected to these people. Mm. I forever am. Like the bond that we have now and when I talk to them, because I talk to them, we have Zoom calls and, and FaceTime calls. And I, I, I just feel so connected to them because they opened everything up to me, everything. There was nothing hidden from view. They were completely transparent to everything in our discussions. And I thought, wow, what an amazing thing. So it is my obligation now to go back and learn all of the things I was never, I was never taught. I didn't know where to even look, maybe if I was even interested to find that out. Because before, when we were younger, there was nowhere, where, where would you find out about, about anything to do with Indigenous culture? from an indigenous perspective, not regurgitated through a non-indigenous person. And I was like, now we're in a time where we can really find out more if we choose to. And I think that that's what a lot of us should be doing, especially yeah. in North America. Super. We should be learning this. Yeah. Super cool. I'm, uh, I'm yeah, just love, love hearing about your experiences up there. How many, I guess a couple questions were like, how many people were at like this event, the powwow and how long was it? Like, is it a multi-day thing or a one day? Yeah. So powwow is, is such an amazing thing and it's a little bit different depending on who you talk to from different nations for sure. But what powwow is, is, is a place for people to come together to families, to, to dance and there's competition, as I said, but there's also, it's, a, it's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people come over the weekend. And it's usually there's an opening ceremony <clears throat> that happens at the beginning where there's prayer and blessings from elders to start the whole event to kick off. And then there's, there's definitely some rules around some of the things you should and shouldn't do, which as non-Indigenous people being there is great because how would you know not to take, you see a little kid go by in amazing regalia and you know your instinct is to want to like touch that cool beaded or feathered um, headdress or something like that or take a picture and that is something that you really you know we have to be more aware of that that's not just you can't just do that sort of thing and so they're very politely remind everyone that you know if you do want to take a picture of anyone always ask their permission don't take pictures of the children in their regalia. Don't touch people's regalia because that could have been passed on for generations. But it's a sacred item. It's not. It's not a costume piece. Mm. You know, like in a some sort of dance show. It's a. It's the real deal. There's a lot of meaning to it. There's a lot of ceremony that goes around to the making of it, the acquiring of it, the passing down of it. It's. It's a very very sacred thing, and so it's cool to to know more about that because. If you didn't know that, you would just think, oh, it's just this costume that they kind of put together or bought bits and pieces and, and it's for show. It's not at all like mm -hmm. that. It, it, there's a lot of meaning to every piece of, of that regalia. And that's why they don't call it costume. That's another thing too. Oh, their costumes are so neat, yeah. right? But it's not 
costumes, it's it's regalia. It is they're regaled in their traditional dress, and it represents a lot, especially for the types of dances that are going on. You'll see different dances with different regalia, mm. and there's meaning behind all of those. And I have no, <laughs> I have the most surface knowledge of all of that, only bare surface. So it's great to ask questions like, what what is this shawl dress? What what is the what is the um, meaning behind this and jingle dress dancing and all the different types of of dances that there are find out more mm -hmm. ask go, go up and ask someone so i was like okay so i was asking a lot of people and it's just it's a really really nice nice place to be because you're experiencing um uh where there's no stress there's no um, it's just more of a place to be together. One thing that was really amazing that I was allowed to come into was a, a tented area where there's a sacred fire. So there's a fire that's kept that is burnt continuously and there's the guardians of that fire. And let me tell you, I really am super surface knowledge around this, but I think it's a pretty big deal as a non-Indigenous person to be invited mm -hmm. into where the sacred fire was, because I was like, should I really be participating in this? And so the family brought me in. They said, come in with us and we'll explain it to you. And I just was like, wow, the, the keeper of the fire was there. And then just taking of, of the medicines and putting them into the fire to bring the smoke up to, to, to the creator. Just And like I said, I am not an expert, so there's a lot more to it. And I don't mean to mm -hmm. simplify it in any way. I just knew I was in a place that I had. I felt a lot of honor to be able to be in that space. Yeah. I could feel how much it meant to everyone walking in to this space. And I don't know if I'll ever experience that again. I haven't seen that here so much because I think I've been not exposed in such an intimate way mm -hmm. to it. But the fact the family honored me by bringing me in with their family to the space, I was like, I just... I spend a few moments there thinking I have to revel in all of this because it's, it makes, it gives me goosebumps like that I've been allowed to be here and be a part of this and not understand completely what it means, but know that it means a lot to, to, to someone else. Yeah. So that made it mean a lot to me. I bet they, I bet they could, I bet one of the reasons why, I mean, they probably felt, your true like nature and soul feeling like kind of re, re uh, kind of like sharing that energy of just appreciation it's like mm -hmm. it's not anyone it sounds like that would be welcome into a situation like that and i think that speaks to the type of like openness that you have and i i want to i want to understand like how like how you became this way like how you really have opened yourself up to like learning in a very like very, not, I don't want to say humble because we talked about how humble is often overused and misconstrued mm. and um, but just like selfless way where also you're like like how do you embody that like when you're when you're trying to film too I'm also thinking about it from a film standpoint of like mm -hmm. you're there so, sometimes taking photos you're aware there's certain things where you don't want to have the camera a part of it and maybe talk to me a little bit more about because not all the time that you work with um, them, you're probably holding the camera. Sometimes you are. Like, how do you how do you kind of navigate all that? 
I found that really tough. I don't think I want to do that again. I don't want to be the person behind the camera mm-hmm. and trying to connect. I find a lot of the footage that I have that I shot is disconnected for me. I'd rather be there and hire somebody with the camera, which is what I wanted to do in the first place because I didn't have enough budget to do that. Yeah, but at least this was to get me some, you know, at least idea out that this is what I want to do. Because mm-hmm. to me, the biggest connection is 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 face to face. Is really having that moment of creating an opportunity to not hold back your feelings. Like I think a lot of times. And you'll probably have found this too. And I found this over my lifetime that when I really open up to some people in my history so far, it may have made them uncomfortable and, and I don't understand why, which is fine. And there have been moments where I just think, am I letting out too much? Am I telling too much about how I feel? And, and then we put this, this filter on to just maybe let out enough for someone to not go running going, wow, they're, uh, they're crazy. (laughs) But I think that I've sort of decided not sort of, I've decided to not worry about that anymore and just let it be out there knowing that if the person knows that I mean no harm by, by expressing how I feel that I really don't. And if there's something that is, off-putting or something that they might be able to provide some insight to that I'm open to hearing what they have to say. I'm not like, no, this is the way I think. But in order to get conversation going, I have to present something that I feel in order to get conversation going. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right? And I think that that's something that I'm really focusing on is when I'm there is listening as well. Not always telling my perspective, even though I I am talking a lot and I do feel like I talk a lot, but I also listen a lot and I want to hear other people's perspectives on what they've learned. Cause there's definitely something in there that I haven't experienced right. that I can go, Oh wow. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's cool. So I think for me is more about just going into any scenario as myself. And if I go in to a business meeting, which happens sometimes, I'm not going to be a different person than what you see at the moment. And that's one thing I've really, really learned before I used to be a business guy because I'm in a business meeting and these people all seem really businessy. So I have to put that on. And I, and I did that for a long time. And I just realized now I, I, I just don't, play well that way like I don't I'm not I feel like I'm a fraud I'm not being myself and so it takes time to be able to feel comfortable enough to do that I think Mm -hmm. but also when you start to realize how it's not harmful like you're not doing anything for harmful reasons you're doing it for getting a better understanding of others and yourself with others in this pretty vast space that I think that when we talk about humility that kind of comes potentially with that. Like when you're doing this and you're focusing on it, you're not focusing on, I'm, I'm focusing on being humble. No, you're focusing on being genuine and truthful and honest. And like I said, treating everyone as a person who has value and is worthy of dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this before too, is like core, core values. 
what are your core values? And I, I've actually talked to quite a few people about this lately who have been in certain scenarios where they're like, oh, I remember we, when we had that conversation about core values, I thought about that when I was in this scenario and I'm like, and what happened? And they said, well, I didn't, I didn't back down because I thought, is this going against my core values? And if I found that it was, then I thought, well, no, I'm, I'm, I can't do that or I'm not, I'm not into that. I was like, oh, cool. Because one thing I really do think of all the time is if you live by your core values, no matter what happens tomorrow, a giant pandemic hits the world mm-hmm. and everybody's in lockdown. Huh. <laughs> like he didn't see that coming. But if you're able to go through the, the next part of your life with those core values really intact at the forefront, it doesn't matter what happens. Everything that's thrown at you and all these scenarios, any people that come into your life, if you're just always sticking to those core values, you can make it through anything and feel okay about it. As long as those are well-established, proven, non-harmful core values. I mean, your core values could be totally harmful. (laughs) I I don't know. But to me, the things that I think about are these well thought out, and they can change, Mm -hmm. but for where I am right now, are these the core values I want to live by? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And will I go through any scenario with these core values at the forefront? Totally. So no matter what's thrown at me, that's where I'm, that's how I'm going to get through it. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. I got a question for you. So how, when, like I have feel like I have pretty like sturdy core values. Like I'm right now feeling like I'm prioritizing my time and living in a way that's pretty closely aligned with like what I'm supposed to be doing. But sometimes like I do make a mistake and I catch myself three, four five days later. Like for example, somebody in my life might be trying to communicate something to me. My head is down working on a project and I don't, pay attention to that or I like basically I fault on my commitment to these values like what what do you do when you find yourself like it's this thing where you're looking in the mirror you're like oh shoot I see what I did I've done this before like for me it's listening like I need to be a better listener so I'm like trying so hard to improve my listening yet I keep finding myself getting too focused on other things and not listening for example Whereas like being there for people around me is one of my core values. So I'm faulting on that core value by making this mistake. How can I, or how do you like deal with like those types of things? I think the first thing is to acknowledge that it's okay to have those relapses. I think if we never have those, then we become complacent and we don't have any point of reference to why we're doing what we're doing. For instance, patience. So I'll get more to the point in a second. Patience for me is something I think I'm mostly patient and it's something I work on a lot. And when I get in a car and drive, my patience is gone. And I think, okay, so I'm fighting all of these things that I've said. If this is not in my control, because I can't control what another driver does, but I can try and influence where I can by just letting them get in front of me. And and if they they need to cut me off, I'll just back up, but not be angry. Like it's up to me, all of these things. But I find that that is the place I keep resetting back to, oh, like I've been working on this for so long. And yet I just was so ridiculously impatient with that driver and then I beat myself up over it for a bit. Cause I'm like, I'm not learning anything. I haven't learned anything because why did I just do that? And then I, now I'm starting to think to the point I just said is that 
I need that to keep reminding me and give me a point of reference. It's like a little beacon that says, yeah, but remember every time that happens to you, you're like, oh, right. I'm not supposed to react that way because that's not the way I really want to react. It's mm -hmm. not. I don't feel like a good person when I get so angry like that. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting angry about this in the grand mm -hmm. scheme of all of that's gone on in my life. Totally. Mind blowing. And so, but I think that that's good because what happens is as time goes on and you acknowledge that, then it becomes more at the forefront of your subconscious. So you do realize, oh, right, I got to sit back and really listen right now and not talk just listen there's somebody in my life that i just need to stop and listen so if your head's down like you said you have to book in time to go whoa have i been missing any yeah. key things here because i've been so focused on this and sometimes when i come out of that and go to this that's actually what i needed to complete this right i you're so uh, you're absolutely right and i, I am taking time to, to do that for sure yeah, because if you get too far in this, you're really not going to get all the layers you need to make whatever this is amazing, impactful, mm -hmm. um, empowering, whatever it is, without these other, uh, you know, experience, because they are part of what makes it up. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for me, I'm just, I, I get super focused on things too. And I have in my mind, no, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And then I think... And then somebody to present something and right off the bat, like in my mind too, I'm totally dismissive. I'm like, mm -mm, that's not it. And I got to stop doing that too, because I'm like, wait a second. If I take that thought and idea and kind of mix it in with mine, that gets a conversation going that actually turns this into something a lot more extravagant or exciting. And, and, you know, so I think you don't know where those exist. It's kind of like when you go down a path, you you and something beautiful happens like you see this pond and and there's a bunch of baby ducks on it and it's it's amazing to watch them and but if you if you didn't go down that path you wouldn't have a moment to stop and then whatever thoughts came out of that because you're thinking about reflections about where these ducks are and what life is like for them in this little pond and where do they go after that like does the mom only feed them for a certain amount of time and then she's like bye i'm out of here you're off on your own like you can go down this whole path after that but then if you didn't go down that path you wouldn't have a chance to explore something totally different from where you thought you were going and so i just think that we do have to stop and kind of go oh right i need to listen and see the things around me besides just what i want to see i want to do and that all of that is to give you perspective on all the things you're learning you're constantly being reminded through perspective like i i point of reference i use that term all the time i'm like what is this point of reference to? I'm like, oh, it's point of reference to this. I think we've talked about this before too. You can't just wake up in the morning and go, oh, like I have all these ideas of how I'm going to be. I'm going to live by my core values. I'm going to, um, you know, d just really be open and honest to other people's opinions and blah, blah, blah. Like it's great to say all that kind of thing. But does that mean the next day and the next day and the next day you just automatically do that because you had this epiphany that that's how you want to live? Or do you get up every day and go, remember yesterday when I had that thought about this today, I really need to focus on living by my core values, like I said, and being open to other people's perspectives, like I said yesterday. And then that becomes your daily ritual of practicing 
that every day. We talk about exercise. Well, you exercise to keep your body fit. So if you go for a run every day, you're doing that to keep your body fit. But if you just went running once every 20 years, <laughs> because you had this great idea, if I run, I'm going to be fit, so I'll run, and then I don't have to run ever again. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not the same. You have to practice that. And it doesn't mean you have to run hard every day, but you have to you know, just acknowledge the fact that this takes practice mm -hmm. every day. I think everything in life is like that. I've struggled a long time to like, just be consistent with the podcast, for example, like now it's just like something I just enjoy doing and I'm committed to it. And I think for me, like I can't really focus on too many things. Maybe a lot of other folks would resonate with this, but like I, ha I do have all these ideas, epiphanies, maybe like creative things. Oh, I want to do this and this and this. But at the end of the day, you like have to choose a few, a few of those things. And the other thing is, I used to be a bit more of just like get to the top of the mountain, get the view, go down. And then sometimes you realize your head was literally down during the most scenic part of the trail and you come back down and you're like, wait, did I miss this altogether? So often the most beautiful things, yeah, they're not at the destination that you might expect them to be. And I try to take this like idea of like, oh, let's go on a little side adventure. That's why I love like when I go on a road trip and I just don't necessarily know exactly where a road might lead. So I love the Southwest so much. It's like, you can just probably in Canada, it's similar, but you can just drive roads and see where they go. And sometimes as long as you can get back out, um, mm -hmm. sometimes they lead to something cool. And those are like the best for me, the best moments where you can like actually be creating your path in a way. It's, uh, and I think going to those places, like when you were talking about that hike, go and bring someone with you who doesn't normally do that. Mm. Because the reason I say that is because I went, I used to hike and climb with this group of guys that were quite competitive. And it was that exact same sort of thing. It was like, let's hit all the peaks that are over 11,000 feet and, mm -hmm. you know, just get to the top. And it was a little hardcore and intense. And they're all like half my age. Mm -hmm. And so they're like in this phase in their life where they're just really wanting to accomplish stuff. And I thought, wow, okay, like I'm going to keep up to them because I'm, stubborn and i'm like okay i'm towards age but i'm gonna make it to the top two and and i was tired like it pooped me out and and i thought okay well this is cool but like you say i never saw anything on the way up and that group of people kind of dissolved from my life which is good i mean i got to experience that for point of reference yeah. to other things it got me involved in a lot of other sports that i wouldn't be necessarily as involved in but then I brought a friend of mine who I've known for a long, long time, who's not in like the best cardiovascular shape, is in good shape, but who's older than me. And I said, do you want to go for a hike? Said, yes. So we went for a hike and I realized I was going back into that mode of like, go, 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 go. let's just get to the top because that's mm -hmm. going to be the best view. And I realized he was having a few, he just needed some moments. It's like, I need to stop here for a second. I'm like, and my first thought was like, Ugh. Like, come on, let's just get to the top. That's where the best view is. And then I looked out where he stopped and he was looking at the, you know, view. And we'd done a pretty good elevation gain in a short period of time. So there was a decent view. And I was like, oh, wow. And he's like, I just need to catch my breath for a second. I was like, yeah, no, cool. It's totally cool. And it really took me a while to stop feeling this like, no, we have to keep going. Yeah. And so it was great to bring people who don't normally go because, and, and that's what he said. He's like, I don't care even if we make it to the top. And I'm like, oh, 
like what (laughs) who (laughs) says that yeah yeah. and i'm like oh you're right like it doesn't really matter Uh uh, if we don't make it to the top because here is is amazing like look around where we are like if we had to go back down right now Mm -hmm. would that be fine and it really was hard for me to go yep that would be fine like i'd be like no we set to hit that summit and we need to hit that summit And so I thought I need to always just keep that kind of perspective and do things with people who aren't pros at that because they keep you humble in those moments and really make you appreciate why you do really love that. Mm -hmm. And maybe you are missing out on some things that you might not otherwise have seen. So I love love it. I don't adventure with pros anymore. Maybe one or two, but then bring a bunch of really like, I don't really do this because you're like, oh, okay. It gives you a different perspective, right? Totally. And uh, (laughs) you're speaking my language too. Like I have chilled out a bit in my recent years. I used to be just like every person with to pass everybody and get to the top. And I was always in a rush. One of the things, like when I went to Nepal for sure, like this mentality of trekking versus hiking was huge and mm-hmm. my guide is constant uh Nawang was constant constantly reminding me slow down enjoy the views this is not about because they have a planned amount of distance per day so like if you just go faster it's just over faster and mm-hmm. when it's raining sure maybe you want to get there but like these are some of the most beautiful mountains in the world i was in no rush at all we would walk for an hour have tea for 20 minutes walk for an hour this was a totally different mentality or like approach to like going up in the mountains than I'd ever seen before. And I told myself I was going to bring that, that understanding home with me. I think I have to a little bit of a degree, but I want to, I do think that continuing to bring this like balance for sure. Like you have to accomplish some things in order to, you know, be happy and live life that you have to do things, but also slowing down, not rushing is like, one of the things I'm so focused on right now, I was like, I, last thing I'll say, and I'll, sorry, it's like kind of weird on the, on the video. I wish we were in person, but I went through this phase of trying to be productive, productive, productive all the time. Like how can I maximize my productivity and actually realize that you can be more productive if you just kind of like get rid of the friction, if you will, of like having these internal thoughts all the time of trying to be productive. You actually are counterproductive. So totally. I was just going to say, so here's something to think about. Mm -hmm. When you talked about going to Nepal, and I think about this in the mountains a lot here, because I go to the mountains a lot, because it's so close to me. I think about how long these mountains have been here, right? And our idea, our time now is on a clock, right? Based on minutes, seconds, hours, all these things which seems ridiculously irrelevant when you think about the creation of a a world and the amount of time that has passed and when these mountains were formed. I stop and really think about that. I'm like, when were these mountains formed? I'm like, oh God, I, I don't know, but I know it's not in any form of time I could truly calculate in my way of looking at things. Totally. And if I think about that, when I go out to those places, And I sort of think about like, what is the passage of time in this context? The passage of time in this context is nothing I can measure. So I need to remove what my concept of time is, 
as much as I can. It's hard. We're programmed to time. We're totally programmed to it. So if I can really just even be aware of my being programmed to time to say no, like when you were talking about spending 20 minutes, even even using the word 20 minutes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's just tea. a general. T- yeah, yeah, right. Well, exactly. But like we we gauge everything yeah. by by time. Whereas when you talk to a lot of people, mountain people especially, that they they wouldn't ever they would just say we would be having tea. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't know what that passage of time looked like because it's it's never... It's funny how I just naturally use time to describe experience. That's such a totally. good point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we all do. We yeah. all do. And, and it's almost and irrelevant. It, it's like... It's totally irrelevant. The point is we stop for tea. It doesn't necessarily matter how long. That's so it's, interesting. That says so much. We, well, when, when you think about the amount of time or your destination of where you're going through that track, again, time doesn't mean anything. What means something is where you are at that moment. Mm-hmm. There is no passage of time when you're in, in that space. And when you're in a space that has taken millions of years, which is a <laughs> type of time, um, to, to, to be there, it, it just really seems irrelevant. I think if you can take that thought and kind of try and apply it back into your everyday life, which is really tough because there's deadlines and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, if, if you have those things that are based on time. So I, I wouldn't say we can completely abandon that. Mm-hmm. But if we bring the thought of taking the pressure of time off of our things then maybe we'll be able to feel a little bit more kind of at peace and like we're part of this flow rather than fighting against it all the time so well said i it's i try and relate it's really hard when you go have a experience maybe like the one that you had um at the powwow or any number of other times and trying to actually put that deep understanding that can never obviously be put into words especially over the phone or whatever but to like Mm -hmm. try and do it is pretty cool and like the way you're describing time I when I got back from Nepal I was telling people time felt like it slowed down for me a bit like I wasn't you know you you're just yeah uh, I wasn't concerned with it at all really and I was just in the moment and time felt like it slowed down like in the day-to-day for me time seems like it goes super fast it's I don't even know what time it is. We've been talking, you know, I'm, I, it's uh, always you're you're reminded like my job, for example. Yeah. Like every Sunday and Monday are the days that the deadline happens. And then I kind of structure my week around that. The one thing I'll say that's been super important for me and maybe you can speak to this, but like just when I say like not rushing, like just not being distracted mentally, like having my mind fully here, even though knowing that I do have work to do today, I'm having a conversation with somebody. Yes. I'm about to go spend three or four hours, like trying to get this work done before this deadline that's based on time. But during this other time that I'm, I want to be a hundred percent in that conversation, like here in this conversation, for example. And that's like a skill that it's, that's a practice for, for me over time and something I always like catch myself with. So is that mm-hmm. something that you like develop? Is that something that came naturally for you or how have you like developed this ability to like be present? I know like you're a busy person, you've got all these different things going. Like how do you um, stay super present in the moment? I think that I've realized in time that I've missed out on details in moments by departing that moment and going somewhere else for a second even when I'm talking to people and I think about something else I immediately go oh come back come back because you're you're 
disrespecting mm-hmm. this moment that will never happen again. This is this moment only happens once, and this moment only happens once, and this moment only happens <laughs> once. Like it never, it will never be there again. And I, I always have to remind myself that this moment will only occur once. And I might be missing a crucial piece that will really enrich my life from this one moment that my brain has gone somewhere else. When you talk about time passing and you realize that you look at the clock and, oh, two hours have gone by. Mm-hmm. Well, I talked to somebody about kind this. Kind of tripped me out there too. for a second. <laughs> Well, because the thing is, when you're so in the moment, and we talked about this when you went away, I said, remember just to look at all of the immediate details. Mm. Like one way of being present is to really look at the details of where you are even. Look at the the little pebbles and the way that tree root is growing. Like stop and look at those things that we just normally pass by because they're like, oh, your brain just processes, oh yeah, it's a tree, there's a root, there's rocks, whatever. And then you keep going. But your brain doesn't stop and think about what is the significance of those things because you're like, they're irrelevant Mm -hmm. to whatever's going on in my life at the moment. Like why do I need to stop and look at that root of that tree? But if you actually take the time to stop and look at the root of the tree and then the pebble, you start to really, it opens up that whole world of everything around you. And then you start to look at everything in that kind of detailed way. And that transfers into being in the moment to me. And that then changes our perspective of the passage of time. Mm. Because if you're doing that, time becomes completely irrelevant. You think about children playing. When children play, they're just there and they're playing. There's, their world is not outside of this. They're just right here. Passage of time for children doesn't exist. True. It really doesn't. I've seen it. I've been playing with my friend's three-year-old lately. And I'm like, I love it because whenever we hang out, the, I lose that sense mm, of time. It's too very true. My girlfriend's, yeah, my girlfriend's nephew, it's like just kicking the ball around or something like that. Like we get so wrapped up by time that it's like, oh, we've been doing this for five minutes. Now we need to go do something else. Whereas this kid is just literally like, oh, the ball's going that way. I'm going to go that way, kick it this way. And then, yeah, he's going to get bored at some point and move on. But that like time is not part of it. It's, uh, do you think it's necessary that we have, I mean, yes, it is necessary, like you said, to some degree, but. I heard one guy, his name's like Neil Pasricha. He said, he, he calls it like being untouchable. It's like getting away from your cell phone, getting away from time. Like I love, one of the reasons I love the podcast, I love doing things that bring me out of this rushing mindset into the present moment. And uh, that's what I find like more so with podcasting than photography or filmmaking. Like I'm, when I'm doing editing, video editing, half my brain's on this, half of it's listening to music. Maybe like I'm, my phone's right there. But when I'm doing a podcast, it's like locked on a hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, I love doing stuff like that. And yeah, this is, this has been super fun. I always love our conversations as well. It's just, um, always a good time. I think that we all just have to remember, we have to keep learning and listening. Like no one person, I'm not, I get stuff talking to you as well. I get stuff talking to anyone. Mm -hmm. I get, um, more and more to add to, to my thoughts on how I would like to live my life and feel fulfilled every time I talk to anyone and every time I experience anything, whether I think in that moment it feels good or bad, if it makes me feel anxious or if it makes me feel any sort of feeling, it all has its place in my world. 
of my journey. Yeah. I always think about this friend of mine who's a studied philosophy and he's a lawyer and he works way too much and doesn't really practice a lot of these things he really understands deep down inside. Mm. But I love what he said to me one time is that he said, when you think about it, when you think about yourself and not on the spiritual way, like our connection with the earth or anything like that, if you think about this thing that you are and how complicated it is all the little cells upon cells that that created this out of like you know from your parents like the whole it seems impossible it, it really does seem impossible and the fact that we're all different every single person is different you have to just stop and go wow like that's it's a miracle it's a miracle yeah. that we're even here and that we're all different. And so I like thinking about that sometimes, especially if I'm feeling like I'm not maybe going on the path that I want to go on. I'm like, just shut up for a second mm -hmm. and think about that miracle of that you're here and that it took a lot to get all of these things to fuse together to create skin and bones and blood and oxygen and a brain with like, mm. you know, synapses and all these things like, wow, it's crazy. And we don't really think about that very much. Yeah. We look to the outside often to find wonder. Yeah. But like, yeah, truly like when you start to, when I, as you learn more about yourself too, you'd realize like, like what you're driven by and like what that can do when you start to really like live in alignment with that. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated by the human mind, the human body. I, mm -hmm. I love your ability to look at details is something of a, of a true artist. Like I have, <laughs> I have a, you know, I'm always looking at things from 30,000 feet and my girlfriend, she does the same thing. We always go hiking or whenever we both have a camera in our hands, she's finding these like little things that I just walk right by. She'll find a little view through some, some, you know, pine cone through a little log yeah. or something. And, um, there's something super valuable about having that kind of like detail oriented thing that just, just paying attention to the little things. You just got me thinking actually about how, um, like language and you were talking about how like language is different in English versus some of these like native languages where they describe, maybe you talk a little bit about this and like can do a better job serving it justice. But that was something that I remembered. And I've told a few people like, wow, look, you know how they describe things is like the acorn on the tree that has yellow leaves. Like maybe talk to me about like why that's important and how the, our language is a little different and how we, I think, yeah, well, again, like the details, because we need to get to the point fast. Mm. We, we've learned how to become more efficient throughout The history. best language is the one that's the shortest. Or the shortest. best math problem is the one that gets there the fastest. Start. Hence yeah. texting and abbreviating and LOLs and emojis <laughs> even to express a word and all these things. And it, it, the amazing thing is this ties in with the detail about how maybe that's why a lot of us feel kind of unfulfilled because we're lacking the detail. When you think about, say, a flower, like a black-eyed Suzanne is a yellow flower with a black or brown center in it. I don't know if this is the flower, but I'm just saying because I have one on my balcony. But I was thinking, you know, a way to describe that would be like, okay, we've named it after something like a black eyed Susan. I don't know where that derived from in English. And hopefully it's nothing 
bad. But some nobody gave sounds Susan sounds a, black a little eye. Uh, questionable. Black eyed Susan, black eyed or brown eyed Susans. Huh. There's there's a bunch of different names for it. But from my understanding of a lot of uh, dialects here, you would say so. For instance, if that flower was growing out in nature and it tended to turn towards the sun, and the color is yellow. So what else exists in the yellow in in the in the world that's yellow? So the way to describe that would be, you know, plant or 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 whatever you want to call it that opens out towards the sun that mimics or is the same color as the sun. Mm -hmm. So it'd be something like mm -hmm. longer like that that would actually explain what it does and what it looks like rather than just simplifying it down to calling it a brown-eyed Susan or mm -hmm. you know like it more explains what the the action of this is or like you said about the acorn because maybe that feeds the squirrels. So <laughs> seed that grows from tree that provides food for squirrels mm -hmm. like that seems like a long way to say acorn <laughs> yeah. but ultimately that's what it the function of it is and so that's not cutting out the details that's honoring the details of what that purpose of that thing is here on this earth and then that could be explained to multiple people if i say a brown-eyed susan or a black-eyed susan yeah. that kind of opens it up to interpretation like we just said well right. why did how did she get a black eye or maybe it's her pupil or mm -hmm. her iris that's black i don't know like what where but like there's then we have questions around it it doesn't if i tell you what that is you wouldn't know what that looks like but if I said it was a flower or a, a plant that came out of the ground towards the sun that looked the same as the sun, was the same shape, but with a dark circle in the middle, if I described it like that, you'd be like, I know exactly what you're talking about mm -hmm. <laughs> because I just described it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we have such like right now, especially like language with this age of like the internet and how information is so processed that you're going to basically project, you're going to take in a little bite sized piece of information and then project your previous beliefs onto it to like tell the story around it rather than mm -hmm. like fully. I think this is maybe a flaw in our language is that there is so much room for interpretation. I wish there wasn't, you know, I wish every time I have a like conversation with someone and it doesn't go that positively, it's usually because of a miscommunication and not because of like, we are actually on different sides on this like argument. It's like, oh, wow, we've found a way to like use language to be on different teams. But ultimately, I think most of us are connected on these like fundamental beliefs. At least I've, I've found like all the good people I talk to out there. Um, language can slow, slow us down from like getting getting somewhere. And if you think, so this is a good way to tie this back to indigenous communities. There's not a lot of written language, hence why the stories were passed down orally. Because when I talk to you and I'm allowed to use my face and my hands to describe something, you will be able to better understand my meaning and where I'm coming from. And I think that that's another thing that we've lost is like in a text, you read tone in text. And that's why I have this conversation a lot. Never read tone in text because if you're actually talking to that person, do you think they would say that sentence? No. And most people would be like, no. So don't read anything into it. 
But I think that's something that we've really lost is the art of communication like this and using hands and, and signs. So like in, in uh, the reason I'm doing this is because there's a river right behind me called the Elbow River. Mm. And where the Bow River, which is part shaped like a bow, and the Elbow River yeah. meets. You're using the your hands river. right now. Yeah. Well, and the reason the Elbow River is called the Elbow River because it's shaped like an elbow. Like it does a very stark you know, bend like that. So all of the nations that lived around here, when they would come together in this one region that's really close to where I live, and they would trade, they always met at the elbow. They didn't speak the same language, but they knew by some of their hand gestures and that that was goodwilled in their facial expressions. And when they did this symbol, mm. that they would meet at the elbow in the same spot, mm. right? And so I think about that as being such an important part that's missing from, again, a lot of culture, because it's how do we get from A to B the fastest, yeah. right? How do we get there? And it's detrimental. I find it, it's the reason why, like you said, that there are problems because people haven't really understood the other person's intention. And we're kind of programmed to look at the negative before the positive in so many ways, because mm -hmm. like the news you see negative news first before positive news. So our thoughts, this is my belief, is that somebody is like, it's it's amazing how quickly we go to think someone's doing that to be, you know, against me or whatever. We don't think, oh, they they actually care about me. It, we go right to the, to the negative first. It's crazy how we've kind of programmed ourselves to do that. Whereas I've been amongst people that don't, they look at the positive first. Mm. And some people will say, oh, that's naive. Do you know what I mean? That they're just opening themselves up to be taken advantage of. And I'm like, are they? Mm. Or are they actually just living a much more peaceful life where they're not, you know, uh, adhering to this like angst that we always would feel if we always saw it as a negative mm. rather than a positive. And so I agree with you, like communication is uh, huge when you think about film and, and or any other medium too i think you have to think about that too i just shot a, a shorter little film for someone recently and i was like are people going to be like what is this because they want i have two minutes to create this thing and i need to explode like two minutes worth of images so they're just like whoa mm -hmm. that was amazing and then i i shot a whole whack of footage and then i just sat down to edit and i was like but I kind of like these flowy pieces where it really just takes time. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, that piece, that bit was like 20 seconds long, which in a two minute piece, you're like, OK, next. And I thought, is everyone going to be like, when are you going to cut to the next part of this? And yet I, I presented it to the person who asked me to do it. And she was like, wow, I really like how it just pulls you through and flows and gives you time to sort of think because it was to entice people to come to this art installation now outside and. I think I sent you some stuff about it. And I thought, am I, you know, how am I communicating what I want to communicate here? What I, when I went to the space and went through this art installation, I wanted to take my time. I didn't want to get to the next exhibit. I wanted to enjoy this place that I was. It's called Among the Trees. While I'm among the trees, it's called that for a reason. So why wouldn't I spend time to like, look at the trees and feel see what the wind is doing to all the leaves in the trees and just watch the flicker of that for a bit and she had set up this giant circular thing where i would let your you're supposed to lay down on it and look up through the trees just mm. to spend the time i'm like well this doesn't warrant like quick cuts to yeah. like a million different things to stimulate you 
this creates a nice slow flow where you stop and observe things. So I think when you think about language, do you want to get to the quickest point A to point B, or do you want to actually allow people to feel something mm. through this and get more out of it, whether it's through film or through talking or through any anything to yeah. communicate, form of communication, right? I think those words are going to help me slow down a bit in my edit on my film because it's something I'm always like battling with because like you said there's hard like I want it to be I want the I have an idea for how long I want it to be maybe 12 minutes at the most mm -hmm. and um, yeah it's really hard to balance especially when you see it over and over and over again and mm -hmm. like you get disconnected from oh like if you watch a clip that's three seconds long if you watch that clip 30 times it's gonna feel like a five second long clip because you've dissected every little thing you've looked at it in different ways like your eye totally. naturally will go to different things each time you watch it so i try and keep that in mind mm -hmm. and what you see is false so like i found a few things that i was like i love this shot but it's got a weird like little jerk in the camera right there and i thought oh that just i i can't use this and i'm like no use it it actually happened your camera did some little wacky thing there mm -hmm. and you know just put it into context of what's going on in that image and it's fine and you know, I just thought, like, just let it be as part of that journey. So, yeah, that was going on and I was capturing it. But I'm just as important there with my camera as being a part of this process, right? Like, and so if that is a fault, mm -hmm. because it's not perfectly smooth, then it's not a fault. It's just part of it. It's like how a tree has a giant chunk out of it because something in nature made that chunk. I'm not going to go up and, like, glue a piece of bark on mm -hmm. it to make it look perfect so I can then you know, have that in the shot. Same right? as this conversation. You know, if you, if I bumble and ramble a bit, like I don't go back and edit it out. I just, it is no. what it is because it's a conversation and that's what happens. And so whatever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that that's what we have to think about too when we're making this stuff. I think there's increased not... demand. People want to consume myself. At least I want to consume something long form. That's raw, not mm -hmm. cut down and dissected and like bite size. Like I, I don't even, I'm not on Twitter. I don't really look at the news. Like I, I really don't consume that much at all actually. Cause I just don't really, I don't get that much value from, it. I like to go deep on things. I like to listen to people who are super knowledgeable and passionate, talk for hours and hours and hours, and then start to come to some conclusions about what they're saying. And um, yeah, I think yeah, there's because more. It gives you a chance to explore it from your perspective. And I think when things are so edited in general in life, mm -hmm. not just in film, that it, the purpose of that, the intention is to make you think one thought, right? It's to narrow it down to what you want that person to think. And it's like, hmm, but then what about the idea of like there being a, a million thoughts after someone watches that? Like when you look at a painting, yeah, you're not all going to get the same you know, feeling from that mm. painting, like, so keep it as that instead of trying to really like <laughs> dictate what the person is supposed to see or feel, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think about, you know, one person I think about a lot is, um, Terrence Malick films because Terrence Malick, and I don't love everything that he does, but he really starts from the ground and moves his way up from that so he wants you to feel a what where this comes from so like a lot of times like the camera will start in the grass and like you'll just see a blade of grass and an ant will go climbing up <laughs> and then you'll see some footsteps in the distance go by 
And then the camera starts to bring, come into the story there of who that is that walked by. But the idea behind it is, is we are connected to, to this, this ground. So he's not interpreting that for you. He's just opening it up for you to go, Oh, like, you know, why would anybody who's a filmmaker bother filming grass at the beginning of a feature film, right? Well, the idea why I think he does this is because he wants you to get an idea of like, just feel what, that this is actually a real thing, that this person is on dirt where grass grows. (laughs) Like, why do we need to not include that? Because, oh, that doesn't have any relevance. Like, what does that have to do with the story? Yeah, It may not have anything to do with the story, it has to do with your acceptance of feeling that this is part of of nature, that you are involved in this. Mm. It's not necessarily a theme in the story. Do you know what I mean? I, this is what I think is so cool about film in general. It's just like telling the story visually is uh, it's such a craft. And yeah, I'll have to take a little bit more look at Terrence Malick's work. I'll have a link or something, but... So the two I would suggest would be Days of Heaven and Badlands. But Days of Heaven is my all-time favorite, like, like uh, uh, environment, if for lack of a better word, movie. Meaning that the space that that this everything takes place is so important mm. that you don't see that in many other films where this the, the space everything about the land and everything is part of that story. So days of heaven and it was shot in Alberta. So all of those amazing landscapes that you'll see in that were shot in Alberta and he shot all the outdoor sequences during the magic hour in the morning and Mm. evening. So the lighting is friggin' mind blowing. But then again, that appreciation of nature of light and the natural light on this natural prairie is it'll just make you go whoa like how did they do that it must be filters and things like that it's like no this is what it mm. looks like at 10 o'clock at night here right now like you'll stand there and go oh my god this is magical yeah, yeah. so check that one out that's a good one awesome awesome yeah. awesome and uh w- when we do get in person we're gonna have to do another podcast because i we're coming up on two hours and Oh God! I gotta take a leak, but uh, <laughs> this, yeah, th- we gotta. When when will you be down in Seattle? Maybe once uh, travel between our borders is open. <laughs> I don't even think it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, there's a few factors there. <laughs> um, there's a there's a certain person in power. I, I've kind of not. I've avoided going to the U.S. because of a certain certain individual We've that is individual. leading your country at the moment mm-hmm. and the other thing is um yeah as soon as the borders open up again and i'll think about that so definitely not before november mm-hmm. <laughs> um well I, I, this is better so much better to see you face to face and uh and catch up because like totally time just great. passes by like we were talking about and uh every time i get to talk to you it's a treat Awesome. Me so, too. Yeah. I agree. It's good. Gets your brain going. And the thing is, once you start talking to people that, that, that gets fired, fires those things in your brain where you're like, oh yeah, nah, nah, nah. And mm-hmm. you can't cover it all in one conversation. Of course so not. You yeah. just, you save it for another day. Yep. 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 Right? I love it. Um, I, well, let's wrap up. I mean, I've got a couple more minutes here, but I wanted to ask you like before we got off, like just to talk a little bit more about, um, what you're doing with the chalk bag stuff and like how that whole program works. We kind of glossed over it at the beginning. 
Yeah, chalk bag, I thought about how can I be a part of something and learn something more with rock climbing and my interest in learning more about indigenous communities in my area and beyond. So that's kind of where it started. And I thought a chalk bag is something that all climbers have and they tie it around their waist. And when I went to stay in Northern Ontario and in, with this indigenous family, I was thinking about that when they were making medicine pouches and we made a little medicine pouch. I made one. They taught me how to do it. I didn't beat it or anything. And I thought, as I was thinking about the, the significance of this pouch and learning about the four sacred medicines, and I just kind of kept that for a bit and sat on it. And then over time, I was like, hmm, you know, I wish there was a way that we could um, expose more people to rock climbing and, and how it's been an amazing thing for me for mental wellness and for physical wellness and for creating a sense of community and all these things, but also learning about something, about the land and the connection. Mm -hmm. So that all came down to me thinking, well, wonder if we could make these shock bags. Because, you know, a lot of uh, indigenous art um, crafts people make different types of bags for different things. So I just presented it to some friends in, in Ontario and said, hey, what do you think about this? And they jumped on it right away. They said, oh, it's similar to like, you know, the fire bag and the medicine pouch and all these things. And I said, yeah, so maybe we could incorporate some way of turning it into a learning experience. So not only is it a bag that holds chalk for rock climbers, but maybe there's another zippered pouch in it that has information about why it's important. Turn it into a chalk bag slash fire bag. So then here's a flint and here's what you would need to start a fire and why it's important to keep that fire going and learning about different cultures through some of these more traditional handicrafts. And so I thought this would be a really cool way to bridge the two and get that conversation going. So if we have youth involved from all different backgrounds, indigenous youth that live in urban centers and in rural areas, and also in newcomers and settler newcomers and brand new like people to Canada, how do we get this conversation going in a way that it's, it's a little bit more interesting and involves a sport that I'm super passionate about? So Chalk bag is in its really initial stages. We're just creating some prototypes right now. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is to have them created by, designed by Indigenous artisans and have them created by Indigenous craftspeople. So everything will be run. My only involvement was just to get the conversation going. Mm -hmm. It's not for me to make any sort of money off of this. Any proceeds of it will go back into programs. Everyone will be paid for the work that they do, obviously. But then every everything else involved with it will be put back into programs for rock climbing for youth. Super cool. I, I love it. I want to like learn from your learn through you on this because I would love to do some sort of like not necessarily a business where it makes you a bunch of profit, but a business that can be sustainable. I was talking to Didier about that, and I'm just super interested in like because a lot of people would love to bring together their passion, their understandings, and trying to give back and make an impact. Mm -hmm. but also do it in a way that's like fun and maybe even like someone's like benefiting, getting value out of like using this product. It's super cool as like, totally. a, I, I'm a business mind, but turned creator kind of. So I see this blend of business and creativity and entrepreneurship, just having a lot of potential, I yep. think maybe more and so keeping conversations going. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, for sure. Anything, 
yeah, keeping, keeping conversations going is like not really possible just without those reminders, like a little chalk bag or something. Like I love when someone asks you something like, Oh, where'd you get that, you know, bracelet or whatever. Oh, well, let me tell you, you know, and then you can actually, totally. it kind of reminds you of what's, what uh, the story behind it is. I took mm-hmm, off my Nepal than... necklace, by the way, the one that I was wearing. Because <laughs> we, we were talking about that. You're like, yeah, I remember getting a little thing like that. And you go through those phases, Kyle. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going through the phase right now. Ah, but at the same time, you know, if, <laughs> if somebody did, if you went to a place and someone made that and they uh-huh. told you the significance of it, I mean, then it's a little bit different. Or if they made it for you, right? To me, what's interesting is knowing the story behind that object, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are going to wear something... Did, did what's the story behind it? If the story is I went to the store and bought it. Mm-hmm. Then do you really want that? Or is the story I went to the Calgary Stampede one year and went to the Elbow River Camp where all the indigenous communities come together for the 10 days mm-hmm. and this person described to me about how they make this out of antlers and horns and stuff that they have and then they create this thing and mm-hmm. here like here's the story behind it so I can actually continue that story on. Yeah. And so to me that's where you're going to find value. I love it. Right. I love it. And I will probably circle back to you because I, I would just, I really think it's something I'd love to like work on or if I can help out at all or um, mm-hmm. something in parallel to like a similar idea to that. I'm just super, super interested in putting my energy and my abilities in that direction. Um, cool. And yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Joel, very much. And Um, Can I just leave with one bit of advice then? Can you please really just learn about the people that are the original people of that region and try and get to know a group or an Mm -hmm. individual from that in the next while and Mm -hmm. just let that branch out from there? Because once you start, it continues. It doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that. We need to start making those connections. And then you truly see the importance of the voice of the indigenous people of this whole territory. I love it, Joel. Yeah. My, my girlfriend is super passionate about her Mexican culture and she's really wants to do something like that. And I just see that fire that she has, the fire that you have. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there. I'd, I just want to continue to apply myself to this type of thing. It's, it's, um, for me, super invigorating. So mm-hmm. thank you for all the wise words today. <laughs> you too this is yeah. super fun what do you got going the rest of the day so i'm just going to finish this proposal which about chalk bag which is great and um yeah i've been helping out like i said bringing some of the stampede out to refugee families and things like that so i might wrap some of that up today and that's been a great experience too just spending time with people who have only been in canada left their countries in really harsh conditions mm-hmm. It's during a pandemic. Uh, it, it gives you a different perspective <laughs> again. Wow. So right? you're, you're so. flocking to help people that are moving here. That's uh, like something I haven't even thought about, like people that are immigrating or migrating like right now. Like mm-hmm. there's probably not very many, there's already not many doors open, you know, cause we're all looking at each other. Like we're like sick mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a whole nother conversation that I, that we'll totally. have to get into. Wow. Totally. But it's been great. It's great. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm working on. I don't really have any paid things at the moment. The government's providing me with a little bit of money for now until I can find something. But in the meantime, I just thought, you know, if I can't make money through things, then I just need to help, help mm-hmm. wherever I can. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I love yeah. it. You're, you're uh, inspirational to me, Joel. So thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. 
And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. In the future, I'm going to be sitting down with Joel. There's the AC turning on. I'm going to be sitting down with Joel and actually having a conversation with him more about his overall arc and journey and some of the lessons along the way. But for now, hope you enjoyed that. And I learned a ton through this conversation. I hope you did too. Have a great day.